We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To True Faith Podcast, I am your host this week, Mickey Collin. I'm joined on the line by uh, the London Contingent, a strong London contingent this week. We've got Sean, Chris and Norman. Hello, guys. Hello. So Sean and Chris, you two had the uh, the misfortune, shall we say, of attending um, attending yesterday's. What do you want to call it? The bargle. You know the yeah, way dis- disgrace has been thrown Fast. around. Farce. You know any 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 of your negative adjectives, or uh, is adjective the right word? Are fine to describe yesterday's game. Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first with a, a quick one on the kind of build up to the game and how how were people feeling down there. Uh, so I met up with Sean in a, a lovely Wellerspoons adjacent to St Pancras Station. Um, there were quite a lot of Newcastle fans in there. Uh, the atmosphere was kind of good, but I don't think anyone was particularly expecting us to pull up any trees, and so it proved. Um, I wasn't drinking. I'd been to uh, Charlton Blackburn the day before. My friend's a Charlton fan. So I went down there and had maybe one too many pints the day before. So it was only uh, Bex Blues for me. But yeah, the atmosphere was quite good. Uh, a group of six or so of us. Uh, out for a couple of drinks there and then headed up to uh, the Emirates about an hour before uh, plenty of time uh, to make our way via Tube um, but yeah it was a pretty nice if kind of relatively low key build up for me Sean are you feeling much the same did you have any confidence at all that we might get something out of this game no I think the signs were the signs were ominous when I got absolutely soaked in a downpour on the way to the pub. So I should have really seen that the writing was on the wall then. But you know, a couple of couple of pints in you. I think none of the lads were particularly confident. I think there's quite a, an acknowledgement, probably I assume along most of the fan base who watched us this season that we are a bad team. And I think there was an acknowledgement that you know we'd have to be quite lucky again today. It seems to be the, the kind of way. So there was no. There was no jubilant predictions of wins or anything like kind of amongst the lads who were with us. So it was kind of more, can we nick a goal and hope again? But that was generally the feeling, I think, before most of these games at the moment. It's sad, isn't it? But that's kind of where we're at supporting Newcastle United at the minute um, and and have been for a long time. Chris, you sent an interesting um, an interesting stat through to the, the WhatsApp group today, um, which told us that Newcastle United's Premier League goal difference is officially now negative all time for the first time ever um that kind of sums everything up doesn't it yes steve roger bruce has uh, has made his impact felt at uh, newcastle united um of course it's not just him you know this is uh you know the latest in 
in a series of horrible symptoms. But uh, yeah, to be the man carrying the can uh, when we plunge into negative goal difference in our all-time Premier League stats is um, it's not one that you want in your CV. It's not. I feel a little bit bad for him for being the one that's took us took us there because it's not his fault. You know, he he's got a small part to, to play in it, but successive terrible managers and terrible ownership decisions have led us to this point. Not ju- not just Steve Bruce. Um, Norman, you were in uh, cold and 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 dark Tyneside with me over the weekend for a, a wedding of one of the True Faith team. Um, you travelled back to London on Sunday, but I didn't go at the game. I don't think. Do you, you managed to catch it on TV though. I did watch it on TV, mate. Yes, it was it uh, obviously the wedding of the um, the decade on uh, on Saturday, uh, the True Faith Royal Wedding. You could call it, I guess. Um, <laughs> brilliant day, seen some some brilliant people, and uh, obviously a, a lovely couple. And um, you know, if they're listening to it, because obviously one of them is an avid listener, I'm pretty sure the other one probably listens to it on the sly. Um, <laughs> so congratulations to them both yet again. But um, I, I watched it on TV, mate, and um, the overwhelming feeling I got. It's interesting because, you know, I'm sure you'll probably ask us about this, but I'll just quickly mention it. When I saw the team announced, I thought, that's really positive. Rose and Lazaro's wing-backs, I was really happy to see that. In fact, I think in the preview that um, me and Chris recorded, that's what I said I'd like to see um, because I think they've both got something to offer. And I was not necessarily confident before kickoff but I felt better than I had done say let's say 12 to 24 hours previously and I thought well you know Bruce has had loads of luck this season and we've had luck against big sides and I know that Arsenal blew us on the table but I still consider it to be a big side um, I think on a psychological level you still do uh, and I thought well we might we might get something um, and obviously that that illusion that dream that idiotic thought was, was shattered pretty unceremoniously wasn't it it was. I I was surprised with the lineman as well, and it, you know that's in terms of personnel, that's pretty much the most attacking team, team we can play, isn't Strong it? Strong team. Um, you know, it, the the safe option would have been to stick with one of the one of the one of the other fullbacks, anyone anyone else basically on the right who's played before for Newcastle, and 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 Richie on the left. That would have been the safe option and the arguably more solid option. Um, but he but he seemed to go for it a bit, and you know, the, decent choice in midfield as well. No no sign of Hayden, which I thought. Is it was a signature, a signature. That's not the right word, but a sign maybe that we were going to look to try and put some more pressure on ourselves rather than just contain Arsenal. Didn't quite work out like that. But I, I don't know, Chris, what you thought when you saw the Arsenal team and, and and what what our chances might have been at that point. I think realistically, you know, if you look at that that three that sit behind the striker, you see that Arsenal team come out and you see uh, Pepe, who cost over seventy million, and yeah, it hasn't pulled up any trees, but is you know a decent player and kind of getting used to the league. Pepe, Ozil and Aubameyang, you know, you're going to be concerned. Um, and then in front of them, you had uh, Eddie uh, Ketiel. Sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Um, I don't think he's listening. That I, I wouldn't worry too much. About. I've got friends that support Arsenal and having spoken to them, send them a text as soon as the team came out saying, who is this? Um, you know, They seem to think that was quite a bold call on Arteta's um, point, but yeah, apparently he's done a pretty good job in in the cups. Uh, and while you know he he didn't, I don't think get on the score sheet. Uh, he, he he seems to cope pretty well. Um, so yeah, I think realistically, any pretty much any Arsenal side uh, was going to look pretty good going forward. Uh, at the back, um, there's always a couple of mistakes in them. Uh, David Luiz, you know, generally solid, but does have a mistake in him. Uh, and then Mustafi, um, I think 
to, to Arsenal fans' eyes getting towards how we feel about Titus Bramble sometimes uh, <laughs> is the equivalent for them. Um, so, yeah, a good side going forward, but a, a side that I thought, you know, we could possibly nick something uh, against. Going into, going into the first half, Sean, it, it kind of looked like that might be on the cards. I thought I, I personally thought we started okay and threatened them a bit. And, you know, you, you mentioned there, Chris, uh, David Luiz, always prone for a mistake. You do have to make him make a mistake, though. Um but he, he put in one tremendous block on um, from Kieran Clark when I think he would have scored without it. Um, Sean, did did the first half performance make you feel any better about Newcastle United? I thought first half we were okay, to be honest. I mean, I I'll get on Arsenal in a second, but you know we we, we were we were okay. I thought we um you know we created a couple of chances. I thought to maximum kind of had the beating of Bellerin a little bit. I thought for. You know, Bellerin used probably I think used to be the fastest player in the league. I think he was done a couple of times. I think he was he was always dropping off him, and he knew he was never going to win a race with them. So I thought that was potentially the side where we were going to have joy. But I think getting towards kind of half time, maybe the last ten fifteen minutes, Arsenal started to kind of creep back into the game. I think an observation of that Arsenal side, definitely in the first half, not in the second half, obviously, but it's quite astonishing the amount of misplaced passes that they made. Just basic, simple mistakes, which you don't normally see an Arsenal team make. And that, as we got towards half-time, gave me a little bit, a bit of confidence that it might be OK. Obviously, that was said on the match day, so it's you know it was, it's in record, but obviously proved to be very wrong. But that, that was there was just little things that you may have thought, you know, this, this isn't a classic Arsenal side. It's, it's, they're not that good, and you can see why they've maybe won, I think it's one in the last seven or eight. And you could see some of the mistakes as to why that might be the case. So I think, you know, Sir Maximum certainly give us a little bit going forward. Joe Lynn had a good chance where I think it, he hit it with his left and it hit off his hit off his right foot, which possibly kind of sums that all up a little bit. But with little bits of signs, you thought by the by the end of the first half, you think, you know, we are judging off a low base, obviously, but it's, you know, it's an okayish performance away from home. Professional, I wouldn't say we were under a lot of threat in terms of, you know, Arsenal maybe scoring in the first half. But obviously then things drastically changed. Yeah, Mickey, can I jump in there? Sorry. You can. Um, the, uh, so the performance, the first sort of 20, 25 minutes, uh, as, as the lads have mentioned, we actually started all right and Maximan was getting a lot of joy out of Bellerine, who's obviously, Pierce has probably gone now given the like, horrific injuries he's had over the years. Insensibly, you know, because he's an intelligent player, he did start dropping off. Um, I thought we were, we were doing okay. Lazaro's deliveries from dead ball situations were pretty good. We managed to win a few corners. Um what we did well was we actually pushed him a little bit higher up the pitch. So you had Joe Linton. Joe Linton was actually playing a kind of centre-forward role in the sense that he was he was hanging around um, on the edge of their box to sort of 35 yards. So we were pressing up, and that was allowing Maximan and Lazaro a little, a little bit of space. And that was working all right. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, the bar's so low that, you know, all right is pretty mediocre, but just not terrible. But it was all right, it was all right let's say. And then what happens is that... All of a sudden, it seemed to stop, and all of a sudden, you, you, you know, all, you know all my viewpoints on TV. Obviously, Joe Linton's back in the D in their half when the defenders are, are on the ball. There's no pressing. The pressing almost seems to stop. Um, the space seems to close down, and then the surprise um, inclusion of Sabayos starts to tick. Özil starts to tick. Saka starts to get a bit more room on the left, and you can see with about sort of 10, 15 minutes to go at the end of the uh, first half that they really started finding their feet. And to uh, to mention, I think that the passing Sean said there, what, what Arteta's doing, obviously, is he's trying to get City to... Uh, sorry, Arsenal to play in the way that he wants him to, which is 
probably reminiscent of what he was coaching at Man City. He just won't have the players yet, or those players will obviously take a little bit of time to, to feel their way around it. Um, but it was clear to me by the end of the first half that they were, the, they were, the, were in the ascendancy and that the first 10 minutes of the second half were going to be critical because it's going to go in at half-time. And what I, what I thought, what I would like to have you know, seen done, and it may, it may well have been, was just you know maybe the management to say, right, the first 20, 30 minutes, we're pressing them. You are getting up, Julian, and you are pressing them, lads. That's what we need to get back to do. We need to start doing that again because these are here for the taking. And obviously, it didn't, it didn't transpire that way, if that was, even if that was what was said. You're totally right, and it was it was really obvious. And you know, Joe Linton's a perfect player to pick out to to sum up what was happening because you're right. The first 25 minutes, even half an hour, he he was playing well, and he was playing well in the right positions. And it's it's far easier to do that role, that that number nine striker on your own role in the right place and in the right part of the pitch. If the rest of the team are far enough forward, on a, on a, on a making you know making the opposition move backwards a bit. Once that had stopped happening throughout the rest of our team, Joe Linton was like a lost little lost boy. He he just he hasn't got the the nous to be able to adapt his role if it's not you know linked in with the rest of the team. Which which is something that Rondo did very very well when we were under the cosh last last year, and and, and Joe Linton just just doesn't have it. That that kind of subtle change in moving the rest of our team back ten yards for for me just destroyed everything that had been working well and, and, and put it as massively on the back foot and it, it almost seemed to happen in the blink of an eye and, and, mm-hmm. and I thought at that point you know even even inside <coughs> the first half we, you know we're snookered here we're not we're not getting anything out of this game um quite what has happened at half time to go from from that point though to to what we saw in the second half is is beyond me Chris I, I, like what 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 has he said to them at half time I've absolutely no idea, uh, and not for the first time this season as this happened. Uh, yeah, you, you have to kind of wonder. No, it was. He, it's obvious that Arsenal are going to come out and be a bit stronger, uh, and that Arteta is going to going to put a rocket at them uh, there. But you know, as a professional football manager who has you know talked a lot about how much experience you have, um, you know, at this level, what is it over six hundred games or something? He's managed at the Premier League level. Um, yeah, you have to be. You know, briefing, telling your side, uh, you know, what to do. And I, I think, again, uh, just kind of came up short there. Um, absolutely beggars belief. It really does. You know, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but the, the, their first goal was such a poor goal to concede. And a, a little part of me wonders that if we could have just weathered that storm and not conceded such a shocking goal, such a basic, basic, basic goal, whether things might have turned out slightly difficult going, going through the rest of the game, Sean, I wondered whether that's how it felt like for you. And was for me, that goal was such a crushing blow of like, we're definitely knackered here. Did it feel like that on the ground? Yeah, it did. It, and it's, it's you know, we, we, we've, we've seen us play this season. You, you kind of know, and it was kind of like that in this game. And I think a few of the lads had said at halftime, like we needed to have probably got something out of that good period in the first 30 minutes. Because basically, as soon as we concede a goal, goal one down, we're pretty much beat. It's rare that we'd score more than a goal a game. And I think this came up a little bit when when like the three of us, or me, me and Norman were at Wolves, and we were 1-0 up. It got back to 1-1, and the, it sense it, and the crowd knew, and we all knew deep down that it, the best we could now get out of that was 1-1. <laughs> Whereas yesterday, I, it went to 1-0, and you think, oh. And before you gather your thoughts, it's two. And then you definitely know you're kind of beat. 
I did kind of feel that sense that, especially in the second one, in that the, the the players felt like they were kind of beat as well. I just think that the kind of what what I would deem a bit more of a professional performance in the first half just went out the window. The shape kind of got lost. We're being pulled apart. It was a bit of a lack of a leader on there to just kind of pull everyone together. Because there's a big difference between losing 2-0 and 4-0 when your goal difference could count as well. So it's just disappointing that those two at the end as well could really kind of, you know, could cost us. Yeah, and it just seemed, um, it just seemed lazy to me from from the point where they scored that first goal. We, we made it far, far too easy for them. But there was no, you know, even... This is going to sound ridiculous, and it's very easy to say this in hindsight. But even even a two 0 Everton when we'd been absolutely shocking, like shockingly bad, I still didn't think as terribly as I did yesterday at one 0 where I just thought like we might as well give up the season now. Like the, the way things are going here, you know, it's it, it's pathetic, and that was one of the worst collapses I've seen from a Newcastle team. And you know, granted, we're we're away at Arsenal. They're a good side. They've got excellent players. That, you know, spent far more money than Newcastle on, on like quick, skillful attacking players who can do teams damage. But they didn't really have to do that, did they? they, they, they we just let them score. And you know, the the second goal, Lazaro's come into the team, but he gets megged by a like a young lad, basically inside the box, and then just stands and t- like turns around slowly and watches and pass it in at the box and the score. There was there was two of them around him as well. It wasn't just him either. He skipped he skipped through two people, and you just think, come on. I know, and it, like, even the goal itself, even the goal itself, the first goal itself, the the ball in, um, it's on the right hand side. I can't remember who put the ball in for them, um, but the way he put it in, he floated. It was a floated ball in. There was virtually no power in it at all. And you saw how much power Aubameyang had to generate to get, to get the header into the net. It, it was a beautifully executed header, but a ball coming in at that pace, like, why aren't they, like, at least two of the centre-backs just diving straight over it? There was, there was nothing on it. There was absolutely nothing on it. And the thing is, that the reputation that we've got of being, a, we've got of being the solid defensive unit, you know, look, look at the goals, look at the goals conceded, Colin. We're actually not that solid. We do know that, you know, a lot of the, the goals we've conceded have came in, like, you know, in, in certain games, so a four in one game, three in a couple, uh, four in another, five in one of them. But so we kept a few clean sheets, which which almost presents a false economy in that we, you know, we're a good defensive unit. You know, you look you look at the statistics, we're not that brilliant. And this is going to happen when ultimately the defensive line that we had last season, which was kind of between the 25 and 35 yard mark, which just almost put up this wall, which stopped teams creating anything in danger areas. That's gone now. The good defender now comes from last gasp tackles, last gasp headers, clearances off the line. And that's what we saw yesterday when, you know, when you're not kind of last stand at the animal stuff, throwing your body in the way of the ball, they're going to create chances in the six-yard box and they're going to score. And that's what they did. And that was, was that, that's what was frustrating. The, this Everything everything that we've got, this reputation of being solid defensively, the fact that we can't attack, it, it it's all a myth. They're all myths. You know, these are all things that could be changed. And uh, it's it was very, very frustrating. Completely agree that you know the header from Aubameyang is is great. He's he's picked out the corner well. He, he gets a lot behind it. But how tall is he? Anyone does anyone know how tall he is? Is he as tall as any of our centre halves? No. Is he as good in the air as any of our centre halves? He shouldn't be. Like that is like bread and butter stuff. When when a fullback floats in a long cross and you and you're a, you're a decent centre half. That's it's the stuff you want to happen. You know that's the kind of football on a Sunday. If if someone does that when I'm playing, I'm like get in. They'll not score here doing this because I'll just go and head it. Like it's it's so basic, and two of them have just kind of like looked at each other 
and Aubameyang stood in the middle of them and, and gets a free header six yards out. It's just like it's exactly what you say, Norman. It's a, it's a myth. Like the the solid defensive unit is a myth because solid defensive units do not concede that goal. It doesn't happen in the Premier League. Doesn't happen. Solid defenses don't they don't concede it because it's it's so basic and it, you know it's mo- it, it's moments like that 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 make you realize like just how far away we are and you, you know people constantly talking about this expected goals tally and, and you know that all the all of the statistics and Adam Adam should be here for this um, of podcast fame because he loves talking about statistics but you know when all of them have you in either nineteenth or twentieth place in the league where you should be and then you see stuff like yesterday going on. You kind of think that there's something that there's something to it, and I felt so negative at the end of the game yesterday. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I turned it off on 92 minutes. I missed one of the goals just because I didn't give a shit. Couldn't be asked to watch the rest of it. Um, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen very much for me. And I, it was a good few hours before before I tried to take in any of the kind of context around it and what people were saying. And it was so negative on on social media in particular. But before we come to that, Chris, I just want to like kind of get a picture of what what the reaction was like in the ground. Was anyone left at the end? I think after after two goals, so what was that, 57th minute and 54th minute, they, they scored their two goals. After Pepe scored 57th, you know, everyone was roused. Everyone was singing. Uh, roused, not A-roused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the volume uh, level went through the roof there um, you know, for a good kind of five, ten minutes and trying to kind of pull the team back into it. You know, everyone knows that this season there have been those moments where we have come back, you know, and games like Everton uh, and you know a couple of others where we have, have been there. So there was that kind of that willingness to kind of grab the game and try and kind of impose a bit of atmosphere in a, in a pretty sterile stadium. Uh, the Arsenal fans were terrible. Um, but yeah, by the time we got to... Always have 90, been. Yeah, well, indeed. By the time we got to about 90th minute or so, you know, people were just kind of standing, looking, looking dazed. Uh, and when that final one went in, the, the Lacazette goal, just oh, the atmosphere. It was, it was awful. People streaming out. You know, understandably, we've just been done four um, nil in a second half that was absolutely abject. And what's so frustrating about it is when we're in the concourse, half time, you know, relatively positive that that performance, as Sean says rightly, was really really professional um and just to throw it away like that it's it's borderline unforgivable yeah that's kind of how i feel about it as well and um it's just so disheartening isn't it i want to um before we uh before we have a a, a closer look at the manager and what he did and, and then his his subsequent comments um after the game which which beg a belief if you haven't seen them like uh, unbelievable i just want to Try and inject a little modicum of uh, positivity and ask you if anyone thought anybody played well. I think well is pushing it a bit given the manner of the result. But there are a couple of performances that I think were you know, mildly heartening. I thought Lazaro, while he was culpable for getting nutmegged and that header from Aubameyang had some really good moments. And as Norman says, some of his balls into the box were, were decent. Um Danny Rose, some of his tackles, you can see that he's an international level uh, player. And, you know, if in games where we actually have a better chance, I think, you know, he's he's really going to shine. Um, further forwards, you've got Sir Maximan, again, was probably the kind of the bright spark. But aside from that, you're, you're not really looking at much for me. No, I agree. I mean, like Joe Linton had a, had a good 25 minutes, as we said earlier, 25 minutes, half an hour, but he just never 
to me, looked like he was, he was going to score. You know, we could have played that game for twenty five hours yesterday, and I don't think I don't think he would have scored. Did he look as bad in, in the flesh? Interesting, you mentioned the uh, the timing there. So he hasn't scored in one thousand eight hundred and fifty minutes, which is twenty two games in oh. the in the league. That's it's hanging there, isn't it? Forty million pounds supposedly. Allegedly. Sorry, you're trying to be positive there. <laughs> I was trying to be positive, but we're kind of at the end of that. Norman, do you want to say something? Well, like, I mean, I could, there are I could be positive about. I mean, I thought Lazaro for the first half hour was excellent. Obviously, the, the the there'll be a fitness issue, perhaps. You know, this is a player who's barely played it in Milan this season, coming into the Premier League. So going from uh, the Bundesliga, which you know, which is a relatively quick league, um, that they're really entertaining matches, but not not as quick as the Premier League. Going into going to Italy, which is you know a, a slower league in general, but also he hasn't played much. And then coming to Newcastle and playing in, in the Premier League and making his debut away in a position that he doesn't really play in as a left wing back. You know, he's, a, he's an, an attacking player um, to all intents and purposes. If you if you listen to what our our guest on the um, the show that we did talking about him said, um, but I thought his his delivery was pretty good. I was impressed with his corners. Uh, the the one that he put on Longstaff's tour uh, from for about thirty yards out. You know, he played the corner at the edge of the box and he just put it on Longstaff's yeah. tour for that shot. I thought that was excellent. Um, so there's, a, there's definitely a player there. Um, Rose, for the first half, was OK. But again, this is a player who's barely played since November, I think. Um, you, you know, Max Amann had that shot that hit the post. He put a great cross um, into the box. Joe Linton was basically on the edge of the box when that happened, completely out of, out of position, not even making a run in to get on it. So, you know, Max Amann, in that situation, might look like he's taking, he's, he's taking the wrong option. But he's not. He's doing everything right. It's just that when there's no one there, it makes you look a bit silly. Um the fact is that, you know, someone like Max Amann, he still manages to look like a decent player, despite the fact that, that our tactics seem to be, you get the ball, son, you run 50 yards, you skin three players and see if you can create something. Um, there's a lot of pressure on him, really, to, to be... There's a lot of pressure on Max Amann to be the tactic. Um, so I still think he played OK. But they're, you know, they're very kind of um, dull, bright spots in a, in a very dark day. Yeah, and the, the central midfield, I thought... Uh... I thought we massively struggled and we, we kind of got what we deserved, you know. Ben Leb hasn't played, other than the time he's played on the pitch at Newcastle, he hasn't he hasn't played a proper game for like a year and then we're putting him in central midfield alongside Longstaff who's been really poor for, for quite some time and it, it was supposedly according to Bruce and we'll come on to the other stuff that he said in a second but Longstaff was included because he played so well against Oxford and that, for me, is just insane to, to make that... To make that leap of he did alright against Oxford playing at number ten, so I'll put him in a two-man midfield against Arsenal, one of the best possession football teams in the world. It's just staggering, you know. I I, I don't know how he can Bruce can think that that train of thought is is acceptable at, at, at our kind of level of football. But um, just before we go on to his comments, I want to have a, a quick look at the the substitutions he made yesterday and 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 why. Um, you know, obviously we're we're limited in terms of of bodies of, of who we have available to, to bring onto the pitch. But he's made two subs in the space of a minute, um, which were his own his own choice. And then the the latest sub of Fernandez off was um was down to injury. But he's brought on Richie and Hayden on seventy four and seventy five minutes to try and try and get us back in the game. Assuming that he even considered that we might try and get back into the game, you have to think that he's at least trying to. I can't think of a, a a less inspiring double substitution than Richie and Hayden. I don't know what you thought from from the ground. Was it? I I, I likened it to when I was at Old Trafford 
and Shelby didn't come on. You know, it, Bruce subsequently said that it it was down to injury and he'd, he'd been injured in the moment, he didn't want to risk him, blah, blah, blah. But it felt to me at that point at Old Trafford that Bruce just knew we weren't going to win and just was just giving up the game. That's exactly what I thought then at, at, with those two coming on. Just, did, did there's feel- parts of that, but I think you look at the bench, we didn't have a lot else. I mean, if he was... If he was thinking of who's the biggest goal threat you've got on the bench, you would have hired Florian Lejeune up front, which might have, you know, <laughs> might have helped things. But you're, you're literally looking at the bench, and you've got Atu, Matty Longstaff, or the, yeah, the two centre half, so the two the two players you end up brought, brought on. Probably going, will probably lead into the conversation we have about Bruce. But you know, a lot of the lack of options are on him, and the fact that we didn't sign another striker. So there's, he, he wasn't really left with a lot of options. But yeah, I, I didn't look particularly clear where they were slotting in and where they were playing or what what the shape was going to be from you know from standing the ground it didn't it didn't slot in and it took quite a while to again for the players to seemingly work out what was going on so it it wasn't inspiring but i think it's there's also an argument that uh, there's not a lot to choose from so yeah i i agree but it was it was bruce that told us right at the end of the transfer window that in two weeks time we were going to have Muto, Gale, and Carroll all back, all fit. Yep. Mm-hmm. None of them, none of them made the squad, and it now uh, it's come out this week that they don't even know what's wrong with Carroll. Don't even know yet. So how can he possibly two weeks ago, or, or getting on for three weeks ago now? How could he possibly at that point have known that he was going to be fit in two weeks? He didn't. He can't so, have. It's a lie. Yeah, it suggests that that was stretching the truth. Yeah. Or, 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 or it's just not a truth at all. Um, I tell you what. Can can anyone tell me? Because I couldn't work this out when Hayden and Richie did come on. What the formation went to after that? Not a clue. I think there was uh, a couple of minutes of four at the back, but it was so ragged I couldn't tell you with any conviction. The commentator said that it was four at the back, and I was watching out for it, thinking, you know, of all the times to um, to to do it. Like why why not? <laughs> like why why not watch still at home? Anyway, it didn't look like it. But I, did, I I couldn't tell you what it actually was. I think it was just like get on, lads, like have it have a go. That's what that's that's genuine. I think it was. I think I think they've given up. Um, which leads me on to um, the first of Bruce's post match comments that I want to um, want to look at. So I think I think these are verbatim. But if not, uh, allow me some artistic license. And Norman, I'm going to come to you on the first one because you've been like messaging me all day about wanting to talk about it, and I totally <laughs> understand why because it's so horrific. Bruce said. I've said many times that we're not really capable of changing, and you probably saw that towards the end. I, I mean, look, I've read these words right, so I haven't heard them, but in, in a, I haven't seen them in a in a conversation on response to a question. So, the, the, look, I'll, I'll caveat it with saying maybe the context is different to how I'm interpreting it, right? But I'm going to take the words for what they are right now, and I've got them in front of me again. To say that, I mean, you're throwing your players under the bus massively there. You're looking for excuses. We're incapable of changing. We are incapable of changing, and I've said that. And you probably saw that towards the end. Well, because we went 2-0 down, you couldn't make any changes because the players are utterly incapable of playing any other way tactically. Now, I don't know if any of you saw, but I think Daniel Story wrote something today. that, And we said this, I think a few of us on this podcast, uh, or at least in, in the Trophy Detective, have said this on several occasions, that when Almiron came in in January... When Rondon, Perez and Amiron on that side, Longstaff and Hayden, when we started playing football, we were a really entertaining team. And then Daniel Story produced uh, an article today and it turns out that from Ron, from um, Alamoron signing in January, we were the fifth top scorers in the league between then and the end of the season. 
So in that four month period of the season, we were we were fifth for goals scored. That's what I'm. That's what that's what he stated. Um, and he also stated that uh, the you know this this kind of myth of the points on the board. Basically, our our t- Newcastle's tactic at the moment seems to be get get the wing backs on the ball and tell them to run fifty yards and put a cross in. And, and he's absolutely right. This we're not really capable of changing. That's not on the players. That's on Bruce. If it, it, that that's I've said many times that we're not really capable of changing. If he said that, what he should be saying is, I've said many times that I, you know, I should be saying that I'm not capable of changing tactics because I don't know what I'm doing. It, I, I was really, I mean, I mean, I think it's an infuriating comment. It's it's throwing the players under the bus and it's blaming them for your your incapability of um, turning things around or, or, or putting something out there that at least gives us a fighting chance. Um, and, and it's really, if I was an employee and my manager was talking about me like that, I'd probably be tempted to just stand up and walk at the door. You'll I'll jump co- in on that just quickly. Yeah, I think the other thing there is if, if you're thinking that your your team needs coaching, they're not capable of changing, and they need more organisation. What do you do? We probably don't give them five days off um, to go and do what they like and send them off to do press ups three times a week. You know, that's that's not what you need to do in that situation. And the fact that Steve Bruce, as a professional football manager, is acting in that way is reprehensible. It's it's just beggar's belief. It really, it really, really does, and it just, it just doesn't even make sense either. Like, we're not, we're not really capable of changing. Like, that's not the player's job. That's not the player's job. The players do what you tell them to do. Like, if he's saying they're not capable of changing. What, what does he expect from them? Like, if he tells them to go out and play five three two, which I've gone on about enough, but it doesn't fucking work. If he goes out and tells them to do that, and then they just decide to play four two three one, or four four two, you know, but. He's going to go absolutely berserk. Like it's not up to the players to make tactical changes. It that's his job. It's like I, I I literally can't believe he's admitted that in public. And for for the first reason, Norman, that, as you say, chucking the players under the bus, which is a disgrace, and it, and it doesn't really happen in modern football anymore. And you you have to look look around the Premier League. Mourinho is the perfect person to pick up for the doing the total opposite of that. Other than when he hates someone like like Luke Shaw or someone like that. Mourinho never throws his team under the bus and he constantly does everything he can in the media to distract attention from how shit they've been whenever they've been shit. And it's really effective because the press talk about Mourinho, talk about Mourinho's comments, blah, 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 and they ignore the team. What's happened here is the opposite. Bruce has decided, I'm not taking the flack for this. I'm going to put it on the players. Moving on, because the the next two bits, I'll I'll link to that as well. One quick thing on that final thing I want to say. So to say they're incapable of of changing. If you look at that lineup, you've got Danny Rose, Kieran Clark, Fernandez, Lazaro, Almiron, Bentaleb are all international level or relatively recent internationals. I doubt, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I doubt that any of their international sides play 541 uh, and with 34% possession. Um, you know, they can and do play in different ways and do regu- regularly for their international sides. Yeah, great. It's a great point, Chris. Like the fact that that's lost on the manager is. It's next level. Next quote. We ch- we change things to try and get back into it. What? Like, <laughs> what? That's it, like the opposite? We change things to try and get back into it. And in that change, we had two big opportunities. When we open up, we lose it at the other end and become too open. Right. So firstly, he says we're not capable of changing it. But then he says we did change it and had two big opportunities. Don't know where they were. Did anyone see two? Clark and Maximan, I think. Clark, Clark's shot probably and Maximan, which was completely nothing to do with a tactical yeah. change. That was just him. But there, but there wasn't a tactical change. <laughs> because he, because we're not capable of changing. And then when we open up, 
we lose it at the other end and we come too open. Like I think that latter point is one which I think was put a little bit more poetically from, and I hate to say, you know talk about him again as we seemingly do every week because of Steve Bruce's inadequacies. But what Rafa Benitez said about that short blanket analogy, um, that's exactly that, and it's something that Rafa Benitez dealt with. It's something that pretty much every other team has to deal with. Uh, that hasn't got 200 million to spank in a transfer window. Um, that's the reality of football. You know, you do have to compensate and you do have to adapt um, if you've got, you know, a team that isn't right at the top of the table. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's it's so obvious. It's so obvious that nobody else ever says it because it's it's ridiculous to bring it up. You know, if we if we if we if we throw a load of men forward, we're going to be more exposed at the back. Cheers, Steve. Like we hadn't. <laughs> ever considered that at any point in our football supporting lives like come on uh, and, you know the those those comments there are uh, you know i'm going to go as strong as i possibly can here they're disgusting the, the, to, to do that to the team and, and shift all the blame away from himself I, like I, it, it is disgusting and it's for the you know this this podcast is the first time really this season that i've been really negative about steve bruce since since he's became the manager and we had our little whinge at the very start. I've been really positive about Bruce and I've given him all the leeway possible. And and the vast majority of, of our group of mates and, and, and people that come on this podcast, aside from Cy Campbell, have all done the same and everyone's given him the chance. But I feel really different today to what to what I have previously. And, and, and you know, the next thing I'm going to say to you is, I think is going to be the thing that makes everyone else feel the same. If, if you know, if you haven't heard it and you don't already, and the, the final comment I want to talk about today from Bruce, I have to say, Martin Dubravka has been fantastic all season, but it's a poor mistake. Why does he say it, Norman? It's it's uh, and just an un- unbe- unbelievable thing to say. I, I, I'm lost for words. I mean, Dubravka has been, you know, I think he's the in Europe he's the keeper who's made most saves. Now, you know. The reality is he's probably faced more shots than he had keep up, but um, he's been absolutely incredible. He's been fantastic for, uh, from day one, even when he had a, a slight wobble last season, I think. Um, he came back stronger. He's been brilliant this season. And um, to to actually say to actually say a but, to give it a but, I have to say he's been fantastic all season, but it's just, it's I, there aren't any words. It's it's so bad. And I don't know, you know if Martin Dubrock has heard that, read that, then... You, you just you'd want to stop trying. I don't know. Sorry, Sean. I'm new from you. You 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 jump on that, mate. No, no. I think he's you, you, you're right. It's it, it's probably an unnecessary thing to say. I mean, as as you're saying, we're right. We talked about kind of the way we play. The way we play, we have no possession. We see a lot of the ball, and it goes back the whole pressure the defence is under, probably, and the mistakes we and sometimes the keeper ends up making because they're under so much pressure. If you face more shots, there's more chance you'll make a mistake, and the most fans will know the reason we're not in the bottom three at the minute. It's probably the saves that Bravica's made. And, you know, he should know that and he should know better. But he's, I, I don't know the context that he said it in. I don't know if he was... Was he directly asked, well, do you think that was a bad mistake or was it unprompted? Did anyone know if that was... I, I don't know. And, you know, I, mean, I, 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 it, I, I don't think it matters, John. I, I'm so mm. disappointed in him. Um, you, you're absolutely right, I, Everyone knows that Dubravka's been our best player and it just feels sly. It feels really sly to, to get that dig in there. And again, he's he's shifting blame away from himself onto someone else. And 
the the person that deserves blame least in this Newcastle United squad this season is Martin Dubravka and, and Norman yet you're absolutely right you know his his morale will be seriously affected by that because he's going to go home probably goes home and sees his wife in the evening and says like you know I let one through today he's going to be as aware as as everyone that he should have saved that but like and that but the, he's going to say it to his wife did you see what the manager said after after the way I've played this season it's like if if any of us are doing really well at work and then you make one mistake and the if the like the powers that be above came crashing down on you and publicly <laughs> called you out on it, you would be fuming, wouldn't you? You would be fuming, and that's that's exactly what he's done. I can foresee there being a change in attitude amongst fans now towards Bruce and, and Sean, Sean. I wanted to ask you if there was any kind of sentiment of that in the ground, or uh, uh, do you think that's something that might develop because of the comments, or do you think uh, do you think I'm totally wrong? There wasn't any. I didn't sense any Andy Bruce. Chance for any feeling in the in the ground necessary. I think everyone was disappointed in the performance, definitely. But like I say, I mean, as Chris mentioned, towards the end, people were kind of starting to stream out. There was just a bit of bit of dejection. I think I'm sure a lot of people. I mean, that's my fourth visit at the Emirates. I don't think I've seen a goal. <laughs> Probably less than four shots on target in total. So this is this isn't abnormal in terms of some of our performances over the years in North London. Let's be honest. But I think it just it goes back to a kind of bigger picture. I think. You know, we talk about the manager not taking responsibility. How you know we're 26 games into the season. I, I mean, I don't know what you like to think, but I, I don't sense that we have an, an identity or a way of playing. We just, we just kind of rely on 11 players going out on the pitch and hope for the best a little bit. I don't. I, there's often not a link between the defence and the midfield. I think that was really apparent yesterday, and it seems to be just kind of some maximum or, or Almiron, kind of do any magic well that's not that's not a plan that's not anything you work on the training ground for that's just hoping for the best a little bit and I think he's going to have to take responsibility for this eventually he can't be relying on the fact that Rafa drilled them last season and the season before so that's the only way they can play because otherwise what is he doing I think the, the whole situation just reeks of hedging your bets and it's well documented that Mike Ashley loves a gamble and you know he's gambled with the future of our club for what, 13 years, but, you know, that that sentiment of just kind of like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. It does seem to filter down. And I know that might seem unduly harsh. And, you know, the fact that we do have good defenders that generally kind of turn up most of the time, aside from, you know, the odd, well, increasingly amount of uh, hammerings that we're taking, you know, they're not bad players, but so there must be some kind of coaching going on. But, when you're presented with options to to sign a striker or to kind of you know, re-architect the squad a little bit and just kind of improve things, uh, I know that we've signed three players in the window, but there just does seem to be this kind of, oh, it'll be all right. We've got 31 points now. We'll be fine. Well, Which that was the final question I, I had for you guys. And uh, Chris, I'll come to you first is, are we fine? Are we going to be fine? Where do we go from this? Oh, well, we were saying, Sean and I were saying this when we were leaving the ground yesterday you know if you look at that kind of fabled 40 point mark we're nine points away but I can't see where we're going to pick up those points now we've said that before this season I know uh, and you know it has come good we've kind of scuffed in shots to win one nil we've we've had Florian Lejeune tear it up as number nine but we're not safe yet and I think anyone kind of counting their chickens there is usually a side that kind of gets drawn back into it late on. Um, yeah, we're 12, 31 points, but you know, it's it's not over till it's over. 
and, and we need to get some points on the board starting this weekend, which I'm not looking forward to going to. Norman, what do you think? Do you want me to, uh, you want me to quickly read out the fixtures of what we've got before the end of the season? We've got Palace, Palace away, Burnley at home, Southampton away. Good side, Southampton, by the way, like on fire at the minute. Sheffield United at home, playing really well. Villa at home, playing better than us. Bournemouth away, it's one you want to get something from. West Ham at home, Man City away, Watford away, Tottenham at home, Brighton away, Liverpool at home. Uh, those last five games could be zero points. Well, you, you look at those last five those last five fixtures and what, and what we really need to do is get the points that are required in the games before that. And, and they're the teams that we're playing or they're the teams that are around us in the table. So the, the, the points, we if we take points off those teams, then that obviously, you know, that, that takes points away from them. Um, and, you know, you're looking at Palace away, Burnley home, Southampton away, Sheffield United home. Sheffield United obviously aren't anywhere near us, but um, I'm talking about Villa as well and Bournemouth. So those kind of what one, two, those five out of the next six. The five games out of the next six, in an ideal world, would get nine or ten points. That, and that would be us. That would be, it would be safe. Um, and it would leave a few more of those sides really in it. We would, you know, we would go into the last five games with no relegation worries at all. However, my big concern is, is that this whole narrative and Sky Sports were doing it yesterday like this eight games unbeaten on, on numerous occasions I think on several occasions the commentator mentioned this is the best the best unbeaten run they've been on since 2016 right four of those games were against League One teams right <laughs> four of them in my last in my last eight games in the league my last eight games in the league so seven up to um, up to uh, the game yesterday would won once you know what I mean like and what was it we've got well last eight league games I think we've got maybe is it we've scored Let's have a look. We've got um, five goals, I think, in we've scored, and we've conceded sixteen and got seven, uh, got six points. <laughs> so eight games, six points. So this eight-game unbeaten run that you know that that the, the kind of pundits have, have been harping on about um, is again, it's another false economy. And of course, of course, I think we've got enough points on the board to you know to achieve what is deemed to be success in Mike Ashley's Newcastle United, which is surviving. You know, that's the success level, surviving. Um, we ought to pick up the nine or ten points required to do that between now and the end of the season. However, it's not going to be easy and um, it's going to be quite painful. And I think after the um, Bournemouth, Bournemouth away match, we'll have a, a very, very, very clear idea of where we're going to be. Yeah, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, whether whether there's some kind of alternate agenda going on in what the media are coming out with or whether just all of them are really lazy and haven't actually bothered to check what the games are because the the eight game as you say normally the eight game and beaten run it's just it's just a ridiculous thing to say like they don't they don't say that about anyone else in the premier league when they've when they've had four cup games and only only Newcastle could have four cup games against league one side in the space of about three weeks because anyone else in the premier league would have just beaten them both you know sen- sensibly um Sean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the final word to you and put you put you really on the spot. Um, are, are we gonna stay up, and how many points are we gonna get? Yes, I think we will stay up. I think I'm gonna say 42. I think we'll find it from somewhere. I think I'm going to Palace next week. I think it's a big game in terms of I think they're quite you know low down on the statistics as well in terms of things like goals scored, chances created, and all that. So I mean, I'm I'm not expecting it five, six goal thriller, but they're these little games where there's one goal in it and we're just going to have to make sure we we come out on top on those ones. Well, home form's probably what's going to keep up. And it's, it's the home form that's got we in the place we are at the minute. So any, you know, we're going to have to just keep that up. But I, I do think there's enough, having seen 
some of the teams in this league, although, you know, teams like Villa and Norwich, for example, score more goals than us. They also concede a lot more in general and they, they aren't clinical enough. And, you know, it's no good losing 2-1 all the time. I think it'll just be enough. Yeah, I, I, I think that's... Six I, goals, by the way. Sorry, I, I got it wrong. I've got six goals in my last eight games, not five. <laughs> there you go. There All you the go. difference. There you go. I think, you, I think you're right, Sean. I think we're going to just do it, but it's it's going to be because there's three worse teams than us. And I know that's a stupid thing to say, but you know, I, I think a lot of the seasons out of the last 10, this Newcastle team would be getting relegated. And we're just fortunate that the, there's quite a few bad teams this year. Um, and this weekend, Palace away has become... A massive game, not just because of the result of the weekend, but because of the performance and the collapse. And and obviously, um, stick with stick with true faith because we've got loads of coverage coming this week uh, for you. Obviously, we've got the usual match freebie for patrons, um, who get an extra kind of four to six shows every week for about seven pounds a month. It's it, it's good value. You get to hear a lot more Norman, um, especially <laughs> uh, uh, people off me, <laughs> patron stalwart, and, and the rest of the lads as well. Um, we've got a few people down at Palace this weekend. Um, hopefully to see. Newcastle put a few wrongs right and, and and get some points on the board that would just feels a bit more desperate than it did a couple of weeks ago. Um, thanks for thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over thirty five, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.